good people? How we doing? I just want to share a few messages with you really quick if you have the time. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with our staff this past week and, you know, we really feel like we haven't given you enough actionable items where our audience can go out there and make a difference in someone's life today. You know, right now is the time to do it when we're all at home um, and people are struggling out there. So um, the two groups that need help in this on these two messages are uh, patients that are going to be left without a, a hospital bed when we reach the top of the curve come mid-May uh, and the homeless. So uh, the first one is from uh, SVN. It's a shared value, one of the largest actually shared value commercial real estate firms in the United States. Um, and what they're doing is they've, they've launched a campaign called hashtag CRE to save lives. So what this is all about is uh, according to a Harvard Business Review study, there's like 924,000 hospital beds right now in the United States available. Um, and by mid-May, projections are showing there are going to be three to four million people that will have COVID-19 and will need to either be in a hospital bed or need um, to be tested. So how do we do that, right? So uh, what SVN has, has put together is uh, they have a ton of vacant spaces in a database of all these vacant spaces. Really, the message today is for medical workers, uh, for government officials. If you know somebody uh, who is in that position to make this decision, you know, please t tell them about this uh, campaign. Drive them to real-leaders.com slash solutions, uh, where they can go on, basically just contact, say, hey, I need this space. Uh, all the listings are close to hospitals. They're either drive-through facilities that they can transform into testing facilities, uh, or just vacant spaces of over a thousand square feet uh, where we can you know, set people up and uh, make sure that the heroes of COVID-19, all the medical workers right now, have a space to treat people. Uh, so it's going to be a, a group effort, a team effort, and the only way through this is together. So uh, real quick, here's a message uh, from the CEO of SVN. My name is Kevin Majacomo, CEO of SVN, one of the largest commercial real estate advisory firms in the US, and I nominate the entire organization, all of SVN, specifically Kurt Arthur, Deborah Kwok, Cameron Irons, Brent Miller, and Brian Edmonds to list their properties on real-leaders.com forward slash solutions for medical workers and locally elected government officials to collaborate for immediate access to vacant spaces for the two million patients who won't be able to be treated in a hospital when re we reach the top of the curve in mid-May. So if you are a medical professional or someone who knows someone who can take advantage of these readily available spaces, please share this video or make your own or tag them in the comment section below using hashtag CRE2SaveLives. So please help flatten the curve and join the other agents who have already placed their listings at real-leaders.com forward slash solutions. Let's do this. Let's make an immediate impact and a big difference. Thank you. Again, people, so go to real-leaders.com slash solutions. Uh, or take a video of yourself, tag us, we'll reshare it on LinkedIn, we'll reshare it, you know, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Um, and let's just make sure we get the ball rolling on this to accommodate the 2 million people that uh, might need space in, here in mid-May. We really don't know what's going to happen. So 
that's one solution. The next one actually comes from our sponsor. I think it's a, it's a great solution. Um, and you know, if, if you're a company who's uh, working remotely right now and you want to send them a little, little pick-me-up gift, great way to help out the homeless. Um, so what is Numbelievable? It's a direct-to-consumer baked goods company on a mission to donate 1 million meals to those in need by 2022. So how does it work? Every time you order a box of cookies, there's 12 cookies, a dozen cookies in a box, um, they are going to donate two meals to uh, soup kitchens across America. Uh, so obviously, you know, very difficult time right now for uh, the homeless population. Um, and this is a way we can drive funds for them in a for-profit model. Um, and also, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out here as well. Uh, they are delicious cookies. Like, I, even if you're not even about the the effort to help the homeless, or you, you know, if you if you just are a cookie lover, uh, I've got a roommate here. Yeah, I, yes, I have roommates. Yes, so I've got a roommate here who orders at like two boxes of cookies a week, and they come from a nice place, you know, down the street. He told me, he's a hard reviewer, and he told me these cookies are like an 8.7. Another roommate said it was 8.5, another one said it was a 9.1. That's saying something. And, and I'm, 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 I will go on the record, and so will they, to say these are the best cookies that you can have shipped to you in the mail. You just don't, they're, they're big, they're, they're chewy, they're, man, they're just tasty. I wish I had more to eat. Um, but we went through that box fairly fast, as you can imagine. Um, so, uh, best deal today is you're going to get 25% off. Um, you, all you got to do is go to realdashleaders.com uh, slash podcast. There's the podcast page. There's going to be a picture of a box, the Unbelievable box on there. Um, and just click on that box. It'll take you to the website. It'll automatically uh, apply a 25% discount on your on any order. So you can order as many as you want. Uh, for your employees, uh, for your family members or friends uh, during these times. A little pick-me-up gift again. Um, and they're delicious cookies. I promise you, you'll probably order another one after you try them. Uh, so real slash solutions, or you can go to an num- unbelievable website, enter in code ReLeaders, uh, all uppercase. Delicious cookies. Uh, and again, helping out those in need. And the last thing you can do, folks, is just sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. You know, a lot of people talk about this new focus on business, you know, being, you know, um, you know really responsive to broader stakeholders, you know, businesses and the planet. It's kind of going back to old fashioned business. You know, the sense that, you know, businesses were anchored in communities. Um, and had a strong conviction to not only uh, making products and services, but really supporting the fabric of communities. You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that was Amit Bori, the CEO of the Global Impact Investing Network, who wants to make sure people are invested in more than just profit. So what is impact investing? Can business owners handle their problems in socially constructive ways? And how much more money needs to be allocated to impact investments to sustain the future? Find out on this episode of the Realtors Podcast. Enjoy. Okay, I'm it. Okay, let's get started here. In five, four, 
three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Amit Bori, the CEO of the Global Impact Investing Network. Amit, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Kevin. I really appreciate it. So Amit, of course, of course. So Amit, so I'm, I'm on LinkedIn this morning, maybe like 30 minutes ago. I'm not kidding, I'm not making this up. Mark Cuban's on. And he's talking about Shark Tank. How's the show going? What type of investments are you looking into? What advice do you have for leadership? And he was talking about socially conscious businesses. He's like, we're excited about these businesses. And in this time right now, we're going to need these businesses more than ever. He goes on to say, I quote, capitalism wasn't perfect. We can make changes now during this reset. So Amit, the Global Impact Investing Network was started in 2009. It's 2020. We all know what's going on right now. We all know what happened in 2009. How does this story go? Well, I think it's um, you know really important to draw that comparison because you know the impact investing movement really got a lot of momentum coming out of the last financial crisis. Um, you know, and at the time, um, the world looked very different. Um, you know, but some things were the same. If we knew that if we we're going to move the needle on big systemic issues like inequality, climate change, you know, we're trying to have a positive impact on local communities or huge global issues, one thing was crystal clear that government and philanthropy alone um, were not going to be sufficient to get the job done. Now, they're still important, um, but we had to change the way that the private sector was operating. Um, and we, at the time, we had this whole um, community of leaders all around the world who were putting purpose front and center um, you know, for their companies. And, you know, entrepreneurs with incredibly compelling visions. Um, and these are people operating in the U.S., in Europe, but also in places like East Africa and India and elsewhere. Um, but when it came to raising capital, it was really critical for them to get investors who backed them because of their mission, because of their purpose, and not in spite of it. And that need was really what drove the growth of the impact investing market. You know, what if we got a world of investors together who are prioritizing a positive impact that business could have? Um, you know, financing that directly and helping businesses become more effective at achieving their financial uh, and impact goals. Um, and that was really um, you know, coming out of that last crisis, what drove a lot of the momentum around impact investing. Um, and I think when it came to the investors themselves, there was this recognition that business as usual wasn't working. Um, and it created some openness for people to think differently. Now, when we think about where we are today, mm. you know, and we it's of the crisis unfolding. You know, we don't really know when we're going to hit a new steady state or a new normal. Um, and I do think that this is a time where, you know, everyone's really, um, you know, we're trying to make sense of the world that's around us. We're trying to understand the health crisis, the financial crisis that's resulting from it, and also the crisis in confidence. But as the dust starts to settle, I think we are going to have space for a real conversation about how do we want the relationship between business and investors and, and society and the planet to look differently going forward. I think impact investing is part of that solution, but I think we have to have a big conversation globally about what's the right balance we want to have between the private sector and the public sector and society at large. Um, and so I think it's going to be an incredibly important kind of inflection point with how we want the world to evolve going forward. It's an interesting point you make right there. And I think that's 
really what's happening. That's where leaders are separating are can we like the problems that we face today? Uh, I'm going to think about a long term approach, not a quarterly approach right now. And can I use these problems and use my business problems to uh, be changed in a socially constructive way? What does that look like for right now? And you're saying investors are key in this situation. A lot of the entrepreneurs come on the show. We're not going to work with investors that don't align with our mission. So the question mm-hmm. for you, Mama, is, is how are these investors' perspectives changing right now? Yeah. And how has it changed even since 2009? Yeah. Well, I think one thing that's happened since 2009 is that impact investing um, has become you know, much more popular and more accepted. You know, back when I was involved in founding the gym in 2009, um, no one was talking about impact investing. You know, uh, you know, the term wasn't really in use at all to the point where we debated whether or not we should actually call my organization sure. the gym. Um, you know, something that had impact investing in the title. Um, now, there were people who were investing in affordable housing in places like the U.S., you know, sustainable farming around the world, um, people who are doing venture capital with a social or environmental focus. Um, but we were really trying to change a new way of thinking. Um, it was incredibly ambitious uh, and, and very aspirational, um, but we had a strong conviction that there's a whole universe of investors out there who are committed to not only um, you know, making more money, but to having a positive impact on the world. You know, who had a long, a strongly held belief that there was a role for money that was bigger than just making more money. And and since then, of course, now impact investing has gotten a lot of traction and momentum. You know, we we have members of the gin that are active on six continents. Um, we have some of the world's largest financial institutions. You know, some of the world's kind of uh, titans of finance and technology. We're very committed to impact investing. Um, you know, huge global forums and, and communities that have um, become very interested in impact investing. Everything from the World Economic Forum to the Young Presidents Organization, um, you know, to the the G7. Um, you know, and and I think now we have a lot more legitimacy and a lot more experience. Um, and my hope is that has set the stage um, for investors to play a positive role in shaping the evolution and recovery from this big crisis. Because um, we have a lot more experience globally with how people can put money to work to achieve um, you know, economic progress um, and financial success while also having a positive impact on communities and the planet. And that's exactly what we'll need coming out of the recovery of this crisis. Do you think ex- that's exactly why businesses were started in the first place? And do you think kind of the leadership, I guess the people at the top have kind of failed society and the environment through this? Well, I think one thing that, um, you know, a lot of people talk about this new focus on business, you know, being, you know, um, you know really responsive to broader stakeholders, you know, businesses and the right. planet, it's kind of going back to old fashioned business. You know, the sense that, you know, businesses were anchored in communities um, and had a strong conviction to not only um, making products and services, but really supporting the fabric of communities. Um, I, I do think that one of the things that we found is that, of course, um, there are a lot of market pressures to think of short term. And as we've gone more global, there's a disconnect between companies and place and community. Um, and as a result, you know, that, that does lead to some kind of divergence from the way we think about the health of a company and the way we think about the health of a community and the planet. Um, so I think part of this is bringing back old values, but I also think part of it is being much more sophisticated about how we think about the impact 
of a company beyond just its financial impact. You know, that measuring success goes beyond just a stock price or quarterly earnings, but we're actually thinking about the impact on employees, on customers, on communities, and on the planet. And one of the things that we do at the gym and that is a hallmark of impact investing is really trying to promote impact measurement and management. Yeah, so what are the, the, the actual metrics you would use to measure success? Um, and I believe that you know, success should be broader than financial success and should be much more holistic. Um, so we are incorporating you know, the, um, our effectiveness at achieving outcomes for the, you know, for the environment, for communities, um, and for the bottom line in a way that allows business leaders to have a much more holistic view about how they are being successful in building companies that have a positive impact on the world. Uh, um, it's very difficult to, for just a basic human to realize climate change. It's a very, unless you're in, you know, in parts of the world, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be naive here, obviously. Um, but it's very difficult to, uh, be impacted by something that you cannot see mm-hmm. on a daily basis. It's mm-hmm. uh, I read a crazy article with the, the comparison between COVID-19 right now and climate mm-hmm. change. It's like, well, climate change is killing way more people. Mm-hmm. COVID-19 scares people. It's, you can see it, you know, people who are passing away at this time. So it's, it's really interesting to me. So I guess the question for you is, do you think human behavior is going to change in the long term to combat all of these problems? Yeah. Well, I hope one of our, um, you know, our big lessons from this experience is that, you know, you can, um, the price tag on prevention is much smaller than trying to contain a crisis that's already unfolding. Um, and, you know, and I think when it comes to things like climate change, um, you know, it, it is somewhat conceptual. It's this big, heady thing, right, that affects like weather patterns and, you know, and, and the way that, you know, kind of um, the wind travels and, you know, melting in the ice caps and, you know, and things that are happening on islands far away. But one thing that has been very profound um, in the last 12 to 24 months is that the effects of climate change have been much more visceral. You know, we've been battered by climate-related disasters. You know, there were fires in the last 12 months, not only in the West Coast of the United States, but in places like Siberia and Brazil and, you know, in Australia that were just massive. You know, that made, you know, that reached global news and were absolutely shocking. Um, now, of course, fires will be part of the natural cycle in the, in the environment, but, it, you know, these are, um, you know, we are now breaking a lot of records that you never want to break when it comes to things like, um, you know, the, the heat of the planet and, and things like climate-related disasters. Um, so my, my hope is that we um, can have a sense of the, you know, the greater good and, and the collective impact that we can have person by person and company by company and investor by investor. Um, and that ultimately what we want is a more inclusive and more sustainable world. Um, you know, we all want that at a personal level, um, you know, for our families and for our future generations. Um, we also want that from a business level. You know, if you're trying to build a business that lives through decades, um, we need stable societies and we need a stable planet um, that is sustainable and healthy. Uh, and so I think one of the things that's important for leaders to really think about you know, is what are the near term tactics, you know, the moves and decisions you make today that set you up for long term success. Um, and one of the things that is key to long-term success will be, you know, a healthy planet and a healthy society. 
Um, so I'm hoping that, um, you know, that we can bring that long-term view back to near-term decisions that we all need to make. Uh, it's interesting times. I totally agree with that. Like when I talk to just friends and family members about impact investing, a lot of them will have the hesitation that, oh, this doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Why would I not want an investment that would make returns? What is impact? Well, I, you know, I try to tell them, well, all impact, all investments have impact. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's this, mm -hmm. it's going to have a, a low, lower risk. It's going to be great, but they still uh, are, are hard to, it's just hard for them to conceptualize. What sure. do you tell people that yeah. can't grasp this concept? Yeah. Well, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, we are challenging, um, you know, really kind of fundamental philosophical um, things that are, are so hardwired into our brains that it, it's hard to even realize that they're there. And what I mean by that um, is that, you know, we are trained to think that, you know, the, you know, the only purpose of business is to create money for people, right? And the only purpose of investments is to create returns for the investor. Mm. Um, and that is hardwired into our law, into our doctrine, into our culture, and just the way we think about things. Um, and fundamentally, one of the things that was so ambitious when we launched the GIN and, and worked with our network to really promote impact investing was it challenges this you know, sharp divide we have in the world where you invest money or have business to generate more profit and nothing else. And then you give money away or the government, you know, plays a role in trying to have a positive impact and doesn't think about the private sector at all. I mean, what we're trying to do with impact investing is really promote an integrated way of thinking, you know, that you can build businesses with a view towards doing more than one thing. Um, and that is that you can have uh, try to intentionally drive positive impacts, measure your effectiveness at generating those, and then trying to think about how do you drive a race to the top? Um, in having a positive impact, you know, and this can include just to make it tangible, you know, things like trying to promote, you know, um, green real estate and affordable housing. Um, you know, uh, like we all can understand physical buildings, um, and we need those to be accessible to everyone. And we have an affordable affordability crisis in many cities all around the world, um, where working folks can't afford to live. Um, we also, of course, are really um, aware of sustainable agriculture um, and the need to have a sustainable food system that's healthy, both for the environment, uh, for the consumers, you know, us, um, and also for the workers. Uh, and ultimately, I think at its heart, impact investing is about putting your money to work um, to build businesses that are sustainable and inclusive. Um, and I think is I often find that ex explaining real examples to people can be incredibly compelling and increasingly, um, you know, people want this for the money. You know, they, I think they want their values to be reflected in what they invest. And I think it can be incredibly motivating to think about your investments are actually creating the world, uh, you know, making the world a better place and creating opportunity um, and creating environmental sustainability as opposed to undermining them. Where are we right now in terms of how much money we have allocated to impact funds or impact driven companies versus where we need to go? Yeah, it's, a, it's something we spent a lot of time thinking about at the gym and I personally think a lot about. Um, we, we recently published, published a size of the global impact investing market. Um, and our research indicates that it's $502 billion in assets under management. Um, you know, which in the grand scheme of the capital markets is a modest sum, but it's certainly big enough to be uh, mean that it's worth paying attention to. Um, now, I believe that impact should be part of all investing. 
know, that every single investor all around the world should always be thinking about how do they optimize for the, you know, the greatest positive impact alongside their financial objectives. Uh, and so I think that impact investing should be part of everyone's portfolio um, and where it would just be common for us to have a conversation about, you know, what is your portfolio doing to help mitigate climate change? Um, or what is your portfolio doing to help lift people out of poverty around the world? Um, and we know from the United Nations and other sources that this number needs to get up into the, the trillions of dollars to really have um, a, a sustainable world. Uh, and so we have a lot of kind of you know, tailwinds and momentum that we carry into this conversation. Uh, but of course, we have a lot of work to do to realize the full potential for impact investing. Um, I had a guest on the show that said 2% of the U.S. GDP goes to nonprofits. Um, are your, now I just want to clarify for our audience here, are your investments going to nonprofits and how do you see uh, business as a force for good or mission-driven companies impacting the nonprofit sector? Yeah. Well, I think so. the majority of impact investing is going into private companies. Um, and so that is, um, there, there can be investments that are made for nonprofits, typically loans, you know, that can help facilitate things like the development of new facilities, the creation of affordable housing and other things um, that have a real positive impact. But the majority of the capital and impact investing um, is financing companies through equity and debt and other instruments. Um, and so it is, it is investing, you know, where investors are getting expecting to get paid back the principal plus returns. Um, and I think that is you know, one thing that's important to distinguish between impact investing with a f- uh, focus on positive impact and all the great and important work that's being done through philanthropy and charity. Um, and our view is that impact investing is very much a complement to the work that's being done by government and by nonprofits. Um, and that, but I also you know, I believe that business has to be a force for good. You know, if we want a sustainable planet and if we want a society that is more just and fair and balanced, um, you know, business sector has to be part of that solution. Amit, how would you describe a business as a force for bad? Well, I think the notion of, um, you know, know, there's a lot of different ways to think about business. And one can be that it, it, it is extractive, you know, that it's taking resources and it's trying to squeeze as much money, um, out of those resources as possible. I think there's another view where you can actually, uh, and this is of course the view that many impact investors are trying to promote, is that there's an incredible power in business models and market-based solutions. Um, And we need to finance those companies that are both trying to generate important economic activity and create economic livelihoods for their employees and for the owners of those companies, but also in their DNA as well have a strong sense of purpose and social mission. Um, and that is what impact investing is focused on. I think business itself can be agnostic. It can be used for good or for bad. We are trying to shape an economy where business is a powerful source for good and where capital is allocated to reinforce those companies that are really driving a positive impact in their communities um, and on the planet broadly. I, I found a lot of uh, people in our space have 
come to this awakening because of their children. Uh, they're mm-hmm. thinking of the future. Uh, they're they're realizing that uh, businesses are profiting off of the future. And right now we're in this time of like this interregnum. 2020 is an odd year. It's going to be a really mm-hmm. odd year. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of between these reins where like the environmental cost of capitalism just can't be comfortably ignored anymore. It just cannot mm-hmm. be. So what's really the message uh, that you're putting out there to uh, bring impact or to bring investors, traditional investors, private equity um, institutions over to uh, this awakening, this this impact yeah. ideal? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's really uh, important to call out the fact that there you know, a lot of people want impact investing. You know, we, you know, people want their money to be put to work to do good in the world. Um, and we have to build a financial system that services those clients in a way that, you know, they can actually allocate their money towards high impact investments. Um, as you point out, this is a time of incredible flux and uncertainty um, you know, when real leadership is actually required. You know, the, 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 we are living in a very tumultuous and volatile time, you know, as a result of the, you know, the health crisis um, from COVID-19 and the financial crisis. And from that flux and that dynamism, you know, I think is also a, a real opportunity for us to rethink what we want our society to look like. Um, and I do think that this intergenerational view um, is really important. Um, because everyone at a human level wants their kids to live in a world um, that has great opportunity and a healthy environment and a real stable and thriving society. Um, and ultimately, as investors, we all want things to perform in the long term. Um, and those two things are aligned when we think about impact investing. Um, so I think this is a moment where it's really important to underscore the opportunities that um, investors can have to have a positive impact. And the benefit we have from uh, you know, going back 10 years, uh, like where we started, is that we have a decade of experience and track record and growing sophistication in impact investing. Um, so there are um, people who are entering the market now have a lot to lean on. Um, something that was incredibly pioneering uh, when it was part of founding the gin um, is now seen as much more commonplace. So we have major pension funds, insurance companies, you know, global banks, um, private equity firms, and so on, who are already active in impact investing um, and are increasing their allocations over time, which means that they're leaning into their impact investment strategies. And I think that can be one of those important markers of credibility for those folks who are really trying to figure out if this is right for them. That's good to hear. And, and from what I've heard, it's it's rare these days that investors don't take into account, you know, impact investing or ESG into their portfolio. Uh, and it's great times to be in right now. No, there, there's no doubt about that. Challenges, though. Uh, early challenge for me was understanding all of the jargon being thrown around. Mm-hmm. What is impact Absolutely. investing? What is ESG? You know, what is a uh, blended value? What is shared value? What are some of the problems that the gin is yep. doing right now to identify and make sure investors are brought up to speed? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's important to highlight. I'm glad that you asked, you know, because I do think that this is, um, you know, it, it's a, uh, a conversation that is incredibly dynamic right now. So people come to this with a lot of different perspectives, uh, fundamentally trying to think about how to make their investments have a positive impact on the world. From our perspective, one of the biggest questions that we get at the gin is like, how do we actually know that we're having a positive impact and how do we measure it? Like we know how to measure financial performance. 
We've had decades upon decades of thinking about the metrics we use. Um, and when it comes to impact, it needs to be more than anecdotes and stories. Um, stories are incredibly compelling and powerful, but we want to know the hard analytics that allow us to understand our impact. The GIN has been working um, and actually trying to develop um, this um, uh, you know, category of, of sophistication around impact, measurement, and management for over a decade. Um, and we actually just launched a new system called Iris Plus, which is free and it's online, um, but it allows investors to start with those upfront intentions. You know, we're trying to help um, promote gender equality, um, or trying to help um, you know, increase sustainable agriculture and identify the specific metrics backed up by evidence that they should be using to track their performance. So I believe that ultimately what we want is to think about success differently. Mm. So success mm -hmm. isn't just about financial performance, it's about financial and impact performance. Um, and I think that is part of the work of the gin is to build in this culture of how do we drive a race to the top when it comes to impact. Mm. Uh, and ultimately I think that will really help clarify the market to many of the folks who are so excited about impact investing, but trying to figure out how they make sense of this incredibly dynamic uh, and exciting market. I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this as well. And that capitalism is just a vehicle to do this in general. It's just how do we harness it right? You know, how do we, how do we mm -hmm. manipulate it to, to make sure that we're doing the right way? Now you also mentioned uh, we're measuring impact. Um, and you, you, I don't know, I don't want to, put any words in your mouth, but you said you kind of distinguish financial versus financial measurements versus impact measurements, but can't financial uh, results also be a measurement of impact as well? Uh, absolutely. And, and I think what ultimately what we're, we need to strive for uh, is a much more integrated view of performance. Hmm. Because if you take leave a bunch of things out, it, you know, you're prone to have unintended consequences. You know, so if you're just solving for profit without paying attention to your impact on your, your employees or your customers or your communities or the environment, that can lead towards um, you know, a focus on a very narrow set of goals, um, which may lead towards a lot of negative impacts on those other stakeholders. Hmm. So what we are working to do um, is really make sure that um, you know, investors and business leaders um, have access to a much more holistic view of performance. Um, and so that we're not just solving for bottom line profit on the short term basis, but we're thinking about long term financial performance, our overall sustainability uh, and how we um, are more inclusive in our economy. And so I, I believe that, you know, you manage uh, to what you measure. You know, it's a long held kind of point of view in, in business and uh, finance. And that absolutely resonates with me. And so what we want is a much better set of measures. Um, and so that, you know, investors have a much more holistic view um, of a company's performance. Uh, and so business leaders themselves are working on solving for a much more integrated view on the impact that they're having. Speaking of measurements, speaking of goals, the United Nations have 17 of them that trying to achieve yes. by 2030. How is Jin incorporating these goals into their framework? Yeah, yeah the, those um, sustainable development goals, you know, which were launched by the United Nations, you know, set out a very ambitious and very important agenda for how we can achieve a sustainable world by 2030. Um, we at the Jin think that the, the SDGs, as they're called, are incredibly important. Um, and we've actually built that system I measured earlier, IRIS Plus, um, which is you know, the impact measurement and management system for investors 
um, it's entirely um, framed around the SDGs. Uh, so for example, you can pick the SDG that's focused on gender equality uh, or the SDG focus on ending poverty and find the specific investment strategies that will help contribute to that high level goal. Um, we've seen globally that there's incredible uptake of the SDGs. It varies kind of country to country and investor by investor, but it has been very powerful around organizing the entire public and private sector around a common vision for creating a sustainable world. And our job at the GIN um, is to work with all this global network of investors that we have, you know, that includes over 30,000 people on six continents uh, to help them put their money to work to help the achievement of the SDGs. Amit, I was on your website. I knew you were focused on SDGs. So I, that's why I you know, gave you that one. But uh, <laughs> I was looking at your page on life above land. I'm interested so when I think of life above land, a couple things that pop out to me are just uh, restoring biohabitats, biodiversity, um, reforestation, things like that. So let's take reforestation, for example. Companies right now can either purchase carbon offsets to, for their companies. They can purchase, you know, work with nonprofits or organizations to plant trees and you know, mm -hmm. offset their carbon emissions again. Mm -hmm. What are some examples that you are seeing? And is are carbon offsets uh, an actual approach that can, uh, you know, work for uh, the long term? Yeah. Well, I think um, you know, forestry is an incredibly uh, compelling example for impact investing um, because we, you know, we can obviously see how deforestation can wreak havoc on communities and the environment. Um, and then when we talk about climate change, you know, the forestry is so important, um, you know, to how we actually mitigate climate change overall. Um, and um, there's a lot of impact investment activities specifically on forestry, uh, and that is global. So it's in the United States, it's in places like Australia, New Zealand, uh, Southeast Asia, and, and Africa as well. Uh, and I think it's an, an asset class where we've seen um, you know, enough experience and track record that it's actually attracted institutional capital. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a very developed segment of the impact investing market. And the reason why people prioritize it is one, because it has a huge impact on carbon sequestration. So it can help mitigate climate change, but also for some of the other reasons that you raise. So it can be helpful for um, stewardship of water resources and biodiversity. Um, and, and I think one of the things that's so fundamental about how we need to think about you know, the role of investing in a business going forward is how do we live in better harmony with the planet? Because uh, we know we'll need business activity and economic activity, but we need to do so in a way that actually supports a healthy planet, uh, which of course supports healthy life on land you know, where you started this conversation. Um, and so figuring out the right way to do sustainable agriculture um, and sustainable forestry are critical ways in which we need to drive investment capital to support the right business models that are reinforcing a healthy planet, not undermining it. What are some investments right now that excite you that are going to be game changing up in this next decade? Well, there um, are countless examples all around sure. the world. And that's one of the things I love about the gin is that we have a global scope. Um, you know, we have um, you know, investors who are active all around the world. Uh, and you know, one of our uh, recent events had people from 80 countries represented. So it, it just underscores how there's so much great work being done um, all around the globe. 
a couple of the types of things just to illustrate, um, you know, where, how this can take shape, um, you know, things that I'm very interested in. Um, one example is um, just the, you know, uh, the development of like urban farming models. Um, you know, in, in many places in the U.S. where we have, um, you know, cities that have declined, we have a lot of land um, that doesn't have a purpose. Uh, and, and I think we've seen a lot of interesting models of people developing urban farming that can both support local food, um, which supports local jobs and also uh, has a lower carbon footprint because it doesn't have to travel very far as the people who need to eat it. Um, but also can create um, you know, really interesting ways of changing the look and feel of cities that um, you know, feels much healthier to residents. Um, other examples of things that I'm excited about are clean energy access. Um, it's a totally different type of model, but we have investors or um, financing companies that are creating like household solar kits. And what that means is that people um, can put solar kits on the roof um, you know, that allow them to get renewable energy that's safe and reliable. Now, you may think about how this takes shape in a place like California or London, um, but we have a number of members who are also financing these companies in places like Sub-Saharan Africa and India, um, where there are people who are living in rural environments who may lack access to the grid. Um, and they have the opportunity to either burn fossil fuels, which of course is bad for the environment, but it's incredibly like, um, you know, uh, damaging to their health if you're burning things in your home for cooking and for light. Um, and you can replace that with household solar kits and through you know, business models that are designed to make it affordable to lower income populations. Um, and that means that you have a tremendous environmental impact, a positive social impact. Your kids can read at night, they can study. Um, they don't have to rely on, on uh, fuels that damage their health. Um, and these are models that have immense potential to scale. You know, there are about a billion people around the world who lack access to safe, reliable energy. And if you can think about the impact that can be had if a billion people get access to something that is healthy and sustainable for the world. Um, so I think one thing that's so exciting about the impact investing market is that there's no shortage of opportunities all around the world to put money to work, to finance entrepreneurs who are building models that are directly addressing critical problems facing communities. Ahmed, let's let's take that example in MENA, Middle Eastern North Africa. People are lacking access. Let's just say the half of the world's population are lacking access to energy. Okay, let's say in 20 years, we all have access to energy and life is good. Then what? And does that scare you? Well, I think what's most important, right, is, is to combine, you know, the, um, the energy sources that are much more sustainable. Um, you also were thinking about, like, how do we need to consume energy? And I think that's where you're getting at. If I'm, if I'm reading between the lines of like, how do we uh, actually create a world that is, is sustainable? Um, and of course, energy consumption and the type of energy that we're using um, is currently driving a lot of the damage that we're doing to the climate. Um, and so I think that one of the things that we're seeing is this nexus of the opportunity to have a positive impact on the climate um, and a positive impact on social inequity. Mm. Um, yeah, because there, there's this big kind of topic of climate justice, you know, that a lot of people who are lower income will feel the brunt of climate change in the harshest ways. Um, and so it's really important to build a, a system that is um, you know, both more sustainable from an environmental standpoint but also creating the right types of economic opportunity for low-income people so they can have sustainable and healthy lives. 
Yeah, I guess what I was getting to is uh, I feel like there's like the paradox, like when things get better, people also feel like they don't need to contribute more. So when I ask you, does that scare you at all? It's kind of like what's concerning is like, will human behavior change and realize that we still need to fund you know, these investments? But um, I, I digress on it. Let's talk about you, though. I mean, you've got a lot of passion, like a lot of charisma in your voice when you speak about these topics. What drew you to this space and how did you get involved? Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, it really, for me, um, it starts with how I grew up. Um, I I was actually raised, um, you know, in a low income environment myself. And um, when I was born, um, you know, I was was born to a family of immigrants. And um, early on in my childhood, my parents got divorced. Unfortunately, my father had a lot of problems and my, my mom had to divorce him. Um, you know, he had some issues with substance abuse and we spent six years of my childhood on welfare. Uh, while my mom, who had been educated in India, um, needed to get her credentials in the U.S. to be you know, gainfully employed. Um, so she did that through a combination of junior college and then state school in California, um, and then worked her way right in the middle of class. Um, and I was able to access tremendous educational opportunities. Um, you know, I went to a, a great college on scholarship. I got to go to great graduate schools. Um, in, in many ways, you know, I, I saw the you know, mobility that can happen in the span of one generation um, because I was experiencing that personally. But I didn't lose sight of the fact that those opportunities are not available to everyone uh, and that it's important for us to create a society where we can lift up all people. Um, so I have been really trying to think about in my career the best way um, that I can play a role in that and, and trying to drive those opportunities for everyone. Uh, I started off my career working in strategy consulting in Southern California. Uh, and I loved that work. I got a lot out of it, um, but also wanted to apply those business skills directly to having a positive impact on the world. Um, so I ultimately ended up um, you know, working for a nonprofit in global health. I went to graduate school and then was really trying to wrestle with how do I kind of integrate my passion for business models uh, and for you know, the, the opportunity to scale private sector solutions with my desire to have purpose and impact front and center for my career and my life. Um, and you know, when I was um, you know, working for a consulting firm that worked just for social sector organizations, that's where the opportunity uh, came to help start the gym. Uh, and, you know, it was incredibly kind of ambitious and entrepreneurial. Like I mentioned, there was no one talking about impact investing back then. Um, and I was raised in an environment where I was very just, raised to be risk averse because we literally didn't have much that we could afford to lose. Uh, and I actually didn't appreciate that. Um, I was you know, very entrepreneurial in spirit because I never allowed myself space to think of myself that way. I was always trying to take a safe route until this opportunity to create the gym came about. Um, and so for me, um, you know, we are uh, in a business sense, we're not only just trying to create an, you know, an organization in the gym, but we were trying to create a whole category right? Um, the category of impact investing. Um, and so it's a leadership through an orientation of trying to create, change the way that people think about the role of capital, not just how do you promote a specific product or a service, like a normal kind of corporate leadership model would, um, uh, you know, would um, you know, revert to. And so I find this work incredibly compelling. Um, I love the fact that I get to work with a community of people all around the world who are accomplished business professionals or, or investors but are committed to having a positive impact on the world. Um, and so it's a very um, wonderful place to be at the gym because we are part of this amazing network of innovative leaders who are so deeply focused on impact. 
how, how to change minds, behavior change is very difficult to do sometimes. And I hope I'm sure one of the types of persons that you're trying to change the behavior of are government officials, people who actually can structure uh, society. Um, now, what has the SEC done? Have they done anything to help increase investments uh, in this area? And then how important is government leadership for uh, the world yeah. to be a better place? Yeah. Well, I um, one of the graduate schools I went to was a school of government. So and the reason why I went there is because I do believe that government plays a very central role in setting the rules of the game and also sending powerful signals about the world that we want to live in. Now, the job of government is, is to really set priorities for the public good, you know, by, by definition. You know, what do we want? It should represent our collective view on the society we want to live in. Um, I think that um, you know, one of the things that I also think is so important to setting the agenda of government is that governments do respond to the demands of their society, right? like the voters and citizens who shape you know, their mandate. Um, and one of the things I think is really important for impact investing to focus on is making sure that this is a broad-based movement, you know, that it's not just the investment professionals or people at the top of business hierarchies who are thinking about these issues, but it's everyone who's thinking about how their savings and how their retirement accounts contribute to the world that they want to live in. Mm. Um, what we've seen is that, um, you know, that the rule makers, um, you know, whether it's the SEC or organizations like the Small Business Administration or others can play a very significant role in driving more activity around impact and sustainability. Um, my hope is that we continue to see more and more leadership from government in driving the private sector to have a positive impact on the world. Um, and that it's important to underscore at a time where we see a lot of partisanship all around the world and a lot of political polarization, that this has appeal um, across the political spectrum. You know, for those who are on the, the political right, you know, this is really about trying to harness the power of the private sector and business models um, to have a positive impact and to drive solutions to problems. For those folks who are on the left who are thinking about um, you know, wanting to make capitalism more responsive to the needs of ordinary people, um, you know, workers, customers, society at large, and the planet, you know, this is a way of changing the way that the, the engines of capitalism are focused. Um, and so I do think that government plays a critical role, that there's broad support across the political spectrum for this. And my hope is that we see more and more government leadership uh, in engaging the private sector to drive a healthier society and planet. <laughs> do corporations have to report like their negative externalities? Do they have to report their sustainability? And what is the difference between like greenwashing in situations like this versus operational sustainable integration? Yeah. Well, I think that it really varies based on where you are in the world. Um, you know, we, we have not seen a lot of government mandate disclosure around social and environmental factors yet in the United States. Um, I think there's room for the government to really require more of that. We've seen a lot of companies that do it voluntarily because of their own commitments to sustainability. And in some cases, as they respond to pressure they've received from activists and other stakeholders. Um, now, one thing that we have our eye on is in Europe, there's actually a big movement around um, and trying to drive um, reporting around sustainability amongst companies across the entire economy. Um, and I think that will start to raise the bar for what's expected of companies when it comes to the metrics that they're measuring and sharing with the public. 
Uh, and so I think that will have a global um, ripple effect about driving more disclosure of social and environmental factors uh, throughout the world. Um, but I do think there's, there's a leadership and an interest from every government in the world to drive more demand for disclosure um, and ultimately to require it of companies. Um, because it is important for us to understand all the impacts of a company, um, positive and negative on society. And that information is really important for us to understand how we build an economy that is more sustainable and is more inclusive. That's very relieving to hear. Uh, I'm glad things are shaping up around the world and taking this into interest, especially for generations past us. Uh, when I interview social entrepreneurs, Amit, they say, I'm not going to take on an investor that's not aligned with our mission. Um, what, you know, like impact, impact and missions. How do you, Amit, define mm-hmm. impact? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I um, you know think about impact as, you know, the intentional focus on having a positive impact backed up by real measurement and commitment. Um, you know, I think intentions are matter, but what ultimately matters are results. Um, and so I think a lot of what's important is to connect those upfront intentions, the real results you're driving, you know, at a company level, but more importantly for uh, communities and for the planet. Uh, and so, you know, that is really um, front and center for uh, how I think about impact. But it's important to underscore that that can be applied across sectors. You know, so you can have a positive impact in anything from like financial inclusion uh, to sustainable agriculture. We talked about forestry and clean energy access and affordable housing. Um, and so there is a you know, this overarching lens of impact that can be apply, applied across sectors and across an entire portfolio. And I think that's incredibly powerful because it means that there's a lot of opportunity to think about the impact you were having as an investor or as a company leader. Um, and that it's important for us to all push ourselves to have a greater impact and to drive a race to the top when it comes to the impact that we're delivering uh, to the world. Uh, you've thrown around the word inclusive a lot today. I just want to make sure we expand on that for our audience. You sure. just mentioned a lot of that. What does inclusive mean to you? Yeah. Well, I think um, one way to situate it is that in the um, we, we started this conversation by looking back at what's happened since 2009. Um, and right up until this coronavirus-induced crisis, you, we can look at that period as a time of great economic growth. Um, the stock market has had kind of record successes. And yet, when we take a deeper look, um, you know, that growth and those benefits have been incredibly uneven. You know, we've seen rising inequality. Um, and so we have not had kind of a balanced you know, um, period of progress from the last financial crisis. And so when I think about inclusion, it is about making sure that we include everyone in our economic progress um, and everyone in a more sustainable future. So that means more vulnerable populations, so lower income folks. Uh, it also includes dimensions around gender and diversity, um, and that to make sure that you know that you know those benefits and that economic progress is felt by everyone, um, and that we make sure that the lowest income people and the most you know, vulnerable populations are brought along in that progress and benefit um, from those periods of expanded growth. And my hope is that looking forward to the next decade. Um, that we can take those lessons from the past and really try to build a more inclusive future where, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the benefits of our progress are felt throughout. So we see real wage growth throughout the economy. 
that the state of the ordinary worker grows and they have a real sense of progress in their livelihoods. Um, and that it's not just about the people who are at the top of our economic pyramid. I really like that answer. And I really like that word inclusive. It's been thrown around in the last two weeks in this podcast. And so I've been all over it. Um, but the the thing I like about inclusivity that I think is uh, is so dear to leadership. I mean, I, I think leadership, especially real leadership, is just the ability to simple as this: the ability to connect with a bunch of different people in a bunch of different ways. And if enough people are connected, then inherently you have a movement. And I think that's really what Jin is doing here by providing that context, giving a roadmap, educating investors, and including uh, the people, the organizations, the communities, and the countries as well. Now, Amit, to you. What is your definition of a real leader? I believe a real leader is about a sense of purpose that's much bigger than themselves. Uh, I very much aspire to the model of servant leadership, um, where you see leadership in service of the greater good. Uh, And I think that can exist at the top of the world's largest corporations or largest investors, um, or people who are just playing a very positive role in their communities without any sense of real formal authority. But it is the sense that um, real leadership is about um, benefiting others, bring out the best everyone you connect with, whether they work for you or work with you. Um, and I do think that you know, um, you know, leadership is challenging. Uh, we all know that. Uh, I think when times are good, leadership is easier. Um, but in times of crisis, leadership is all the more important. And I believe that we are at a time where real leadership is absolutely critical. You know, the world is facing unprecedented challenges. We're navigating an incredible amount of uncertainty. Um, and it's important for all of us to step up, you know, in our firms, in our communities, um, you know, and in and, and our cities and in our countries to really play a role in charting a better future coming out of this crisis. I love it. Ahmed, just want to appreciate you for coming on the show. People, let's give Ahmed a round of applause, a virtual round of applause today. Thank you. Uh, for Ahmed Bori, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, think bigger than yourself. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Ahmed. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me. All right, good people. What do we think? Let me know. Leave a review. If you didn't like it, let me know. Leave me a review. Thank you again for tuning into this episode of the Relators Podcast. Again, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And if you haven't yet subscribed, then please, by all means, hit the subscribe button to receive notifications of this podcast. And for all lucky listeners today, you are going to walk away with a free magazine. Go to real-leaders.com slash subscribe and use coupon code podcast25 at checkout to receive your first magazine for free with a year subscription. That's four magazines, folks, for the price of three. Again, coupon code PODCAST25. That's all lowercase. If you're a visual learner and you want to watch this interview on your computer or TV with friends and family, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to subscribe. There we go to our new YouTube channel at Real Leaders Magazine to see all of our interviews with guests harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. Thanks again, folks, for being a Real Leader and stay tuned for the next episode of the Real Leaders Podcast.